everybody. My name is Michael Kaiser. And my name is John Wilson. And welcome to another episode of Make Ours Marvel. This is episode 13 of the show, where we are going to be beginning our coverage of the final month of 1962 and all the Marvel comics that came out that uh, that month. Now, this is a special day of recording for me and Mike, because... <laughs> <laughs> Y'all just heard our first episodes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have a little buffer going, I guess. It's kind of crazy because we've been working on this thing for, you know, months. And it's just now coming, starting to come to fruition. So y'all are hearing us talk about Fantastic Four. And here we are getting ready to talk about Spider-Man next episode. And and, and we're, we launched on the day of the movie and the movie's out. And I've seen it twice now. And Mike, you haven't seen it yet. What are you doing with your life? I, and, uh, yes. Everybody's out watching the movie instead of listening to our show. I wonder if we can't compete with the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Hmm. Bad idea. <laughs> Bad idea this release, maybe. But I do not want to compete with Disney. Um, I, do not want, I do not want Disney to see me as competition because that <laughs> mouse has really big shoes. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Um, but tonight's episode, so I guess what we're planning to do, we've kind of been running long the last couple shows i think maybe the last two because we're sort of dying to get to new characters which are not going to be in this episode but we're so close that we might push a little bit and cover just slightly bit more so that next week we can dedicate a whole show to a couple new guys that i'll not spoil right now but talk about next week iron man and spider-man so yeah uh tonight we start with an old hat though actually when did Action Comics number 1000 come out as of this recording. Was it last week? Uh, That was, yes, nine days ago. Okay, so appropriately enough, let's talk about Thor because he totally wants to be Superman. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) And we got Journey into Mystery number 89, which has a cover date of February 1963, but was probably on sale around December of 1962. Uh, written by Stan Lee, pencils by Jack Kirby, and a bunch of other stuff by a bunch of other guys. And it's my turn to summarize. So let's see I if like I can. This cover house says the most colorful superhero of all. Yeah. Blue, red, and yellow. Yep. Where else is where blue, red, and yellow? Yep. Well, compared to other Marvel characters, he's the most colorful superhero of all because this is true. Fantastic Four is blue, and the Hulk is nothing, and Ant Man is all red mostly. I think there's some black in there. Who else do we have? Who else are we covering right now? Is that it? The Torch. The torch oh, the Torch. The yeah, he's all red and blue, depending on whether he's flamed on or off. Um, so, yeah, Thor's kind of like our our colorful superhero, even though he's really a god guy. So, anyway. This, oh, go it ahead. It is a pretty fantastic cover, but it does not oh. go well with the insides. Tell us about the insides, Mike. Is it your job? <laughs> it's my job. All right. So. Oh, wait. I just realized. Yeah? I have Spider-Man. Shit. You do have Spider-Man. And you know awesome. what's weird? I think you had the last Spider-Man. I did. So I have all the Spider-Man. There's all the Spider-Man. You can just like phone it in, man. But okay. <laughs> um, but Thor, who we're on now, Journey into Mystery number 89 starts out with Thor flying around. He's just coming from some mission that he's thinking about. And then there's like these... Uh, you know, secret identity shenanigans where he's trying to get back into his doctor's office as, as Donald Blake. And, you know, he does some stuff and creative weird stuff and he gets in. And then there's more shenanigans of, uh, uh, Jane Foster thinking, boy, I wish I, I wish he would, you know, let me date him. I could, 
he'd be a pretty good boyfriend. And uh, Donald Blake is thinking, boy, she'd never date me because I'd be a pretty bad boyfriend. And then Jane goes off into fantasy land and starts thinking about Thor and what she could do for him. Um, and then that's all interrupted because they hear some commotion. And outside, this guy whose name is something generic like Thug. So I'm going to call him Thug Thuggerson. That's not his that's, name is Thug. I, that's I, I, not I, his real name, but let's call him Thug Thuggerson for sake of memory game. Um, he's being transferred from one prison to another or something, and he's like this bad guy, mob guy who got arrested for selling like purposely selling like bad iron or something like faulty iron works to you know the steel industry or something like that. So he's being transferred, and his goons ram into the uh, police paddy wagon and like get him out. And there's this big shootout between his goons and the cops. And Thug Thuggerson gets shot, but he still gets away. And some of his goons fall back, see that he was shot, and go, you know, our boss is going to need a doctor, so let's go find one. And who happens to be the closest one they come across is Donald Blake. So they get into his office. They hold him and Jane at gunpoint. Of course, Don can't do anything. He can't turn to Thor because then Jane would see, you know, yada, yada, yada. So they tie Jane up, and they just leave her there. Um, and they take Don to Thug Thuggerson's mansion where nobody's looking for him. And there we also meet, and this is sort of inconsequential, but I'll bring it up anyway. Thug Thuggerson has a girlfriend named Rosie, I think, or something like that. And mm-hmm. it's, it's a relationship where it's kind of like, you know, Rosie, you should be so lucky to date me. You know, he treats her like garbage essentially. And she like loves right. the heck, she loves the heck out of him and she's worried about his health. And he's just like, shut up, you dumb broad and all that stuff. You know, typical sixties mobster, I guess. Um, anyway, they bring Don there and they take his cane away. Cause who needs a cane when you're operating? And they force him to operate on thug, even though he actually will operate anyway. Cause he's a doctor and he has to like save lives, even when he doesn't like the life. Uh, and he, he manages to save thug and then thug is, returns uh, the favor by telling his goons to take him out back and shoot Don. So this is no good. So Don's like, well, how the heck can I get my stick back so I can turn to Thor? And the only thing he can think of is he prays to daddy, essentially, or thinks thinks to his father, Odin, please help me. And Odin senses this, my son, he is in trouble. And he like uses his power to make uh, Don's like walking stick spark which causes the thug to drop it and allow Don to grab it. And then Don stamps it and turns into Thor. And it's so this, they've used this excuse before, but it's so bright, the transformation that everybody's blind. And when they look back, they see Thor and just think Thor just happened to be there. And it wasn't a transformation. So they're like, Oh no, Thor's here randomly. And of course, Thor makes short work of all the goons and stuff. But unfortunately, while he's fighting them all, thug Thuggerson and uh, Rosie get away and he decides, you know what, I'm going to go to the doc's hospital and pay him back for, I guess, calling Thor to ruin everything. So he goes back and Jane is still there tied up. <laughs> I don't know why I find that so funny. But they just like left her there for a week, I guess. And then uh, Thor shows up and Thug's like, not so fast, see? And he puts a gun to Jane's head. Now drop your hammer. So he drops his hammer and he's thinking, oh, gosh, you know, I only got 60 seconds to deal with this situation or I turn back to Don Blake. And then then it's curtains. So what does he do? What does he do? I kind of remember. I kind of remember. Oh, he uses super ventriloquism. Yes. To make Thug Thuggerson look away. And then he kicks his hammer from the floor in and makes it smack 
Thug's hand. He drops the gun. Then Thor decides instead of just beating up Thug there that he's going to make sure Jane is safe. So he grabs her and flies her out the window. This allows Thug to keep running. And he's running with Rosie. And she's like, no, Thug, just give yourself up. I don't want you to be hurt. Thor's going to beat you up. Let's just, you know... Admit what you did. Go to jail for a little while. I'll be here when you get out because I'm your loving and devoted girlfriend. And he says, scram, lady, and pushes her aside. And he makes his way up this, like, uh, what do you call those, like, buildings that are under construction, but it's basically just a big steel framework. Um, and he, <laughs> there's, like, a crowd underneath, and then Thor's about to fly up there and grab him, but then Thug sees this, like, big bucket of hot rivets and threatens to throw them all over the crowd. So Thor's, like, powerless. But not really. So he just like shoots the iron with lightning and the iron melts and he starts falling and then Thor swoops up and catches him and the whole crowd in unison goes like, the irony is that's the, that's the steel he sold to the government. Ha ha or something like that. <laughs> and that's pretty much the end except I, the reason I brought up Rosie is because the real end, the last panel is Thor asking Odin for one more favor and he asks Odin to wipe Rosie's memory of Thug altogether that she can go and have a good life. And right. then, then Thor flies away at the end. Which she does until the Walt Simonson run. Oh, she comes back? These both come back. Oh, boy. Yeah. Interesting. It's, that... it's a crazy thing. So so um, just for those who have read later Thor but haven't read this early Thor, this is Thug Thatcher. Mm. This is Thug Thatcher who goes that was so after close. Yeah, he tries to kill Jane Foster. He uh, goes after his old girlfriend, Ruby, who doesn't remember him and kind of terrorizes her for a while. He merges with this weird baddie named Zaniac. And yeah, um, that was in like the 370s-ish okay. of Thor. So I read that last summer when I was doing my Walt Simonson Thor read. Um, where Have I talked about this on the show? I'm I not sure. So there's a podcast I follow called Jay and Miles Explain the X-Men. And last summer, Jay was moving across country to go live in New York and get married. And so the podcast went on hiatus for the summer while he was settling in and finding his new life. Um, So Miles is like, hey, while one podcast is on hiatus, I can do another one. And he does this big Walt Simonson Thor miniseries podcast called The Lightning and the Storm. Wow. And I like reading along with Jay and Miles, so I thought, hey, I'll read along with um, The Lightning and the Storm. Well, seeing as how it's me, um, (laughs) I couldn't just read the Walt Simonson run on Thor with the podcast. That's crazy talk. I read all of Thor. Okay. I read all of Thor leading up to the Walt Simonson run. So I read every Thor story we're going to cover at least once, maybe only once, but at least once um, up through the Walt Simonson run, which ironically, <laughs> I never even finished. <laughs> so I haven't finished that run. I haven't finished listening to that podcast that came out last summer. So, so when you read, I assume, Journey into Mystery number 89 to prepare mm-hmm. for this podcast that wasn't going to talk about that, right. um, was Thug Thatcherson or Thatcher or whatever you just said? so ingrained in your head that by the time you finally got to issue 380 million, you remembered who it was. I had a vague notion. I was like, Oh, okay. I think I remember that. It was actually when we went back and read that, read this issue for this podcast. I was like, Oh, okay. 
Did they get, I, I did they do the it. cool like uh, caption first scene in Journey into Mystery number eighty nine or anything like that? I think they did. I think they did okay. do a reference to say, "Hey, this happened way the f back in <sighs> Journey into Mystery." Such the good old days, man. They don't even do that anymore. No, I they mean, don't care. Books, they don't care. It's just like let's come up with a new event, whatever. I liked back when, you know, even if it made no sense that there's been 500 issues and everybody should be 95, that there was still first seen in Journey into Mystery number 89. That's yeah, awesome. And there, were, and there were only four colors and sexism was ingrained in every story. And yes. it was all white people. Yes. Those were the days. Well, yeah, that's the best part, right? Okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Give me to stop on your nostalgia. <laughs> So what are you thinking about this this Doug Thatcher story here, Mike? Well, yeah, I don't know. It was okay. Um, yeah. My, I only have like a few thoughts. Mm-hmm. I don't know if we need to go like page by page. But my first thought in order of what happens is, um, is Jane, again, uh, fantasizing about Thor. This is not the first time she's done this, but this is a much more extended version. Right. Um, and part of me was like, Oh God, more stupid Jane liking Thor. Cause we've already established that now I just kind of just don't like Jane anymore, at least so far. Um, but prior to this, she did say, you know, I care for Blake at least. So it's not just only Thor anymore. Now it's kind of both again. Right. Um, which we haven't and seen in a while. So it, it kind of gives her a little, a little bit more context about her Thor mooning that, that maybe he'd notice a gal who was right under him. Right. Cause Don Blake really can't notice her. I mean, it's it's still feeding into some pretty terrible stereotypes with you know well how she wants to polish his hammer and iron his clothes and cut his hair right. these are the things that she wants to do. Okay, so here's my thing on that. I did find that comical because the art is very humorous. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was enjoyable to read. But yes, there is a more modern part of my brain that says this is kind of wrong. Right. But then you could also take a step back and go, okay, well, it's not wrong for a woman to want to do those things if she wants to do those things. But then you take a step back back and realize, but this isn't really a woman. This is a man writing what a woman would want. So exactly. eh, not so great again. <laughs> so we're not saying that, you know, maybe it's bad that a woman wants to iron clothes and cut her man's hair, but this is Stan Lee saying that a woman wants to iron clothes and cut well, her, her of, man's uh, hair. Of the movie Mona Lisa Smile. Did you ever see that Julia Roberts, Julia Stiles movie? Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. So, you know, she spends the entire movie trying to get all of these, you know, college-educated women to go off and, like, you know, pursue graduate studies and do something professional and productive and, and, and feminist with their life. And one of her mm. brightest students, one of her most stellar students, played by Julia Stiles, chooses to be a housewife instead. Right. And um, it's just and, like, you know, she, we got into Harvard. We got into Yale. And mm-hmm. we'll always have that. And thank you so much. But, yeah. Um, well, It's, it's, it's different, though, whenever it's a, a writing trend of all comics that women are just or, like, oh, my boy. Exactly true. And I don't know a lot about Jane's future um, other than the fact that at some point she becomes Thor fairly recently. But mm-hmm. um, so I don't know what kind of character she is, per se. It's hard to read, like – uh, Betty Brant or not Betty Brant, um, Betty Ross kind of, kind of written that way. Cause I've seen some really strong characterization from her by other also male writers, but, uh, or, you know, like if it was the wasp, for instance, who we'll be getting to soon. Um, I've seen some very strong, you know, leader leading the Avengers and kicking some serious butt wasp. So it'd be hard to see her just like, if she ever does this, like where she just wants to 
iron Hank Pym's helmet or whatever. But right. Uh, I don't know much about Betty or about uh, James. I don't know what happens. So, and to be honest, um, once we go through an arc with her in the early part of Thor's run, um, she goes off the table for a lot of the ensuing years. Okay. Um, So it's, but there are some really interesting things that are done with her. She's she's not she's not a consistent part of his life after a certain point. It's mm-hmm. about, I think, two years of comics away. But she um, it's, it's essentially her and Sif, though, as far as, like, you know, the staple Thor girlfriend, though, right? That's the classic setup. Yeah, it's, it's, she, he's either after Jane Foster or he's after Sif or he's torn between the two. Right. Uh, much to the chagrin of both. <laughs> and she's, like, this Which, awesome, like, you know, uh, I don't know what kind of scientist. Ge- geological science. Geo- yeah. She's not geology. What is she, weather or something like that? Um, scientist in the MCU for a couple movies. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, they play her up a little better than this. A couple thoughts I had before this uh, point in the story, just to kind of uh, catch up to where you are, is that, um, oh. no, no, it's fine. I just, they're, they're, they're small. They're not very consequential. Um, whenever he was flying in, saying he just finished a mission, I was thinking that we could take that as coming right back from dropping Loki off in Asgard. Yeah, like, we could. He, he did those things. I was coming back and rejoining his life. Um, the stuff with the super, the secret identity shenanigans and making the dummy and throwing it out the window was so super bad. And, oh yeah, oh yeah. And really, actually, even more super boy. Mm-hmm. Um, like very, where did where did the spare Thor costume come from? You know. Uh, um, I'll just use some of this material from these mannequins and pay for it later. It's finished. A crude imitation of me. Yeah, he made a Thor costume in lickety split time. Or so, maybe it took three hours, and that's just how long it takes him to cover up a secret identity. I don't know. <laughs> so so now that we're talking about it, and I didn't explain it, just to explain it, he is essentially flying around, and people are looking at him through the buildings, windows of buildings, and he's like, gosh, I can't land near my office because all these people are watching. So he ducks into this this like tailor mannequin shop or something, creates a Thor costume, dresses a mannequin in it, and tosses it out the window so hard it looks like Thor's flying away. Mm-hmm. And everybody's watching that, and there's pictures of him like tiptoeing behind them, <laughs> right? Uh, so it's just all kinds of silly, and, and you're pretty much watching, reading that, going, you know, there's about 108 other ways you could have dealt with that, but so after that, when we get to page four at the bottom, and they hear the gun battle outside, he's thinking, if only Jane weren't here, I could change into Thor and go into action. I'm thinking, stop being Superman. I mean, yeah. for real, just just stop. oh yeah, it's full on, um, except for. My other comment, which is mm-hmm. not Superman, is he prays to Odin to get some help, you know, in his time of need. Right. He, and which, one that definitely makes him different than Superman, because now we're, we're doing the whole God mythology thing here. Right. Two, I don't really like this window. Much like, you know, when Human Torch does some crazy, amazing power that we don't want him to ever do again. Um, same thing here. It's like, boy, if you can just tell your dad I'm in trouble and he fixes it for you, then... Do we ever ha- have any drama, really? Because this is just a, a really good fix. It's the power of prayer. This applies anywhere, anytime. You'll never be in trouble if you can do this every single time. If we look at the if we look at the mythos side of this scene, though, it's kind of going beyond what we've already established. Mm-hmm. Because at this point, um, one, two, three, four, five, six, he says, and this is on bottom of page six. But wait, even though I haven't the body of Thor. I still have his brain and his thought processes. Right. If I concentrate intensely, perhaps I can establish mental contact with Odin. That's not Thor. 
who's praying to Odin. It's Don Blake. And that's taking us beyond what we've done before. Instead of just Don Blake changing into Thor, we are now putting some of Thor into Don Blake. Right. Well, I mean, it's always been kind of muddled, and we've pointed that out multiple times. This is the mo- this is more blatant. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 they, I haven't really felt like them, the waters were that murky yet. It's just they're different than we're used to. Well, he didn't he didn't do any Thor thinking as Donald Blake before, but he sure did a lot of Thor thinking as Thor. And, you know, the initial appearance was, I have the powers of Thor, but I'm still Donnie Blake, right? Right. And then eventually then it was starts like remembering Thor's life. You're right. He starts remembering where Asgard is and how to throw Loki at it. And he knows who Loki is and he knows his father. And but he still is talking about Jane and getting back to his doctor's office as Thor. And he still doesn't mm-hmm. talk in a pseudo Shakespearean, you know, accent or whatever they eventually adopt for him. So he's still Donald Blake as Thor, but not really. And mm-hmm. basically, you know, we can write all this off as in hindsight, he is just Thor and he doesn't realize it. But they don't know that um, at the time of this writing. And it'll be just a little bit a while still before we get all of that being ironed out and explained. Yeah. Um, but speaking, of, speaking the, of him uh, wanting to be Superman, when he takes out the bad guys, he uses super breath. This is the second time he's done that. Right. He did that against Loki too. And like I said in my synopsis, he uses super – he doesn't call it super ventriloquism. What do they call it? His super developed vocal cords to throw his voice across the room. That's all oh, very Superman, <laughs> right? And, and as a die-hard Superman fan, a fan of all eras, mm-hmm. super ventriloquism is one of the dumbest things I've ever heard. Now, I have a beloved friend who grew up in the 60s reading Superman comics, Bob Fisher. Um, he loves super ventriloquism and more power to him. Mm-hmm. I, think it, I, think it, I think it's stupid. And when Thor, who's... Thor. He's not Superman. He's doing it. I was just like, oh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, one, how does it work? But beyond that, it's like, why would a god do it? You know? I don't know. Right. Why would he know how to do it? It's one thing you could argue, I guess, like Superman messes around with his powers all the time and comes up with weird, clever things to keep his identity secret. But Thor, I don't see why in his history of his life he would ever have had the need to develop this technique. But whatever. Speaking of other techniques, he he um, on the next page he swings his hammer. No, no, same page as Superventualism. He swings his hammer in a in a uh, circle to make a vortex that causes a updraft and like shoves Jane out the window into the air. Which <laughs> I almost believe this because it's comics and he's using his hammer and it's swirling the air. So sure, he made a vortex. Yeah. But then he then he flies after her. Yeah, and she continues to ride up this vortex that he is now no longer making. They're like, "What's happening here?" Well, that and talk about overkill. You know, like one, you could have just stand there, stood there, and taken Thug Thuggerson out because you're Thor. Flick of your finger, all over, done. But okay, fine. He needs to get Jane out of harm's way. He could have just grabbed her and jumped out the window. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's a cool visual though. And I guess you could argue that maybe she's on her way back down as he goes to catch her. Like she isn't, but it looks like she's flying upwards because of the motion lines and stuff. So Yeah, and they're like, holy Hannah, there's a woman floating in air. And oh, that yeah. hug figure flying up after her, that's Thor. Yeah. And then the next page, let's keep talking about Thor powers because here's one that's for all of you out there who truly love Thor and are super into Thor. 
uh, this is very much like a Wonder Woman question, but is he bulletproof? Uh-huh. Because that seems to be a sticky point um, throughout his entire history. And here we have a panel on page 11 that says, look out, Ruby. And it kind of looks like he's taking bullets for her. But then she pr- replies in the next next panel that he missed. <laughs> so it's not like blatant. It's not like him standing there as Superman with things bouncing off his chest. It kind of looks like they're missing, like they're hitting the ground. And he's just okay. pushing her aside. You know, it's not bouncing off anything. So he's not protect. And actually, just from the angle of the drawing, she's not even behind him. Right. He's they're just, just kind of shouting. In a line of fire as he showers bullets at them. Right. And then he's like, are you all right? And, oh, yeah, he missed. So that's what it looks like. And I don't think we've seen him be bulletproof at all so far. I think there's going to be times when he is and times when he is. Kind of like Wonder Woman. It's like there's this, always this argument like, is she bulletproof? No, she has to use her wristbands. But then how come she can take a full punch to the face from Superman? You know, that's got to be harder than a bullet, right? So it's the same thing with Thor. Like he shows incredible powers and abilities and yet he has to like dodge bullets. It's kind of weird. And rivets. Well, no, that's and, the crowd that's going to get hit by the rivets. So yeah. Worried about that necessarily. Yeah. Um, and I only really have one more thought on this story, and that yeah. is that he removes Ruby's memory of Thatcher, mm-hmm. but doesn't remove Thatcher's memory of Ruby. Whoops. Oversight. Yeah, because that's going to come back and bite him in the ass in 30 years. <laughs> 30 20, years. 20 right. years. Right. Yeah. And again, a power based on him just praying. And there's like this cool panel of him like outstretching his arms and like Asgard's floating in the background and rainbow bridges and stuff. And he can accomplish things that he can't accomplish. So I, I just wonder how many more times they're going to do that before they realize maybe that's a bad move to just yeah, yeah. let him pray well, his way is, out of everything. This is the last Jack Kirby story for a while. And if he's doing the plotting, then theoretically those are his ideas that he's reaching out to Jack Kirby and – uh <laughs> Thor's reaching out to Jack Kirby, sorry. But he's reaching out to Odin and pulling down, you know, blessings and, and wishes. And everything. So, um, Wow, Jack goes already, huh? I didn't know that. Yeah, he'll be back again, I believe, just before issue 100, like around 97. Mm. Um, and that's where he starts his run that becomes the Lee Kirby run. Okay, cool. So this is, what was this, 89? Yeah. So we've got to get through six or seven, probably seven. I think 96 is Merlin the Mad. We've got to get through seven non-Jack Kirby issues of varying quality. And then we'll get to um, the Lava Man and all that other stuff with Jack Kirby coming back. Well, if you've got nothing left for this issue, we can can segue to another comic that Jack Kirby left. Uh, Oh, yeah. Yeah, because he's off of Tales to Astonish. Yep. As I of didn't this issue, that last time, but as of this issue, yeah, okay. So Don Heck takes over the art, yeah, with uh, Tales to Astonish forty-one. Um, all right, so this is Prisoner of the Slave World, yeah, and um, crap. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> all right, Henry not memorable. Pym, oh, yeah, maybe not. Henry Pym goes over to a uh, a Fred scientist's house. Yeah. But he's not answering the door. So he's like, okay, I'll break in his Ant Man. And he pulls out his Ant Man costume, which is a teeny tiny little thing in his hand. So he shrinks down, wearing his, wearing his you know, leisure suit, not leisure suit, but, you know, his, his business suit. Mm-hmm. He shrinks down, changes clothes right there on the sidewalk into his Ant Man costume, calls an ant, 
and who carries him up to the keyhole and they go inside. Like the lab's empty, my friend's not here. So he's like, huh, that's weird. And in the days that follow, other scientists start to he's like, huh, that's weird. And then a guy comes over and says, Hey, I wash your windows. And Henry's like, Huh, that's not weird at all. Here, I'll get you some money. And the guy's like, ha, 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 and, and spills, like, I don't know, glue over his mm-hmm. um, Yeah, basically, it's it's comic book glue because it freezes um, Henry Pym in place. Um, Henry Pym is then taken to another dimension of space and time where there are some alien monsters. And that's about all the detail you need. Um, he fights the alien monsters. He turns into Ant-Man, fights some cockroaches. He saves the scientist, like, ooh, it's Ant-Man, and um, gets the uh, scientists back to his world. Um, i trying to remember exactly how he polishes off the bad well, guys. Well, it's like the um, that Human Torch episode where essentially it was only a certain sect of interdimensional aliens who wanted to take over Earth. Um, so once he polishes them up, the rest of the alien civilization can take over and are happy that he helped and send him back home. All right. Just like human oh, torch. Oh, and there was, there was a, uh, there was a gun that shot him in the back and the ants pulled the trigger. Right. The bad guy, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. So the lead bad guy got shot in the back by ants and all the other bad guys are nice bad guys. And they send the scientists back home and the end. Yeah. That's pretty much what happened. It's very much like that human torch story. And I never really thought about that until I said it right now. <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, where he it, it, yeah he goes in the fifth dimension and there's the yeah. princess and everything else yeah it's yeah much. Um, but Donnie Heck he's Don pretty cool Heck is gonna be yeah he's a force we reckon with in, yeah. in Silver Age Marvel and this is Bronze Age Marvel too this is his first story for us I mean I am a big Kirby fan as you know I've said a billion times probably Captain America is my favorite superhero so how could I not be a big Kirby fan but. So far, other than Ditko, we've just been reading a lot of Lee Kirby books, and it's uh-huh. kind of it's kind of nice to see a little bit of give and have him step back a little bit, and not do everything. Um, and I really liked this first opening page of Ant Man, Prisoner of the Slave World. You know, showing him shrinking and stuff. Don mm-hmm. Heck did an awesome job with this with this style of or his version of how Ant Man shrinks, I guess. Looks yeah, pretty I feel cool. Like, I feel like he sat down to this job and was like, all right. Yeah. And he gave us a pretty great opening page. And then as the story goes on, it's just kind of like, huh. Yeah. Okay. But not because of his art. I just think the story's a little funky. But yeah. The yeah, art's pretty the, consistent. He draws. The, he, the art is good. He draws like Hank Pym more like a like a legit super, you know, square jawed superhero kind of. I mean, not that Kirby didn't, but this guy looks like he, you know, he would lead a uh, 60s TV sitcom as the dad or something like that. Yeah, that um, that panel at the bottom of page two where he's smoking his pipe and looking right. determined. Yeah, exactly uh, he's that. A, he's very much a Silver Age lead man of action kind of character. Mm-hmm. We have done the whole disappearing scientist plot before. I mean, a couple times, I think. Right, and Ant-Man, so, yeah. Um, um, you, you mentioned but, his him, him holding his costume as tiny in his pocket. Mm-hmm. So traditionally, uh, superheroes, you know, wear their spandex outfits underneath their clothes, right? Right. Um, I always wondered how comfortable that was. I mean, I've never owned unstable molecules. Maybe they're maybe they're nice and comfy. I don't know. But at the very least, you always have to wear long sleeves. So that kind of 
sucks for me because I live in California, right? <laughs> uh, so either that or I have to design a superhero outfit that has short sleeves. But I think it's, it is kind of cool that Ant-Man could technically, you know, have his costume at all times and it just like fit in his wallet. Uh, maybe not as quick to change, but at the same time, you can also change and no one sees you because you're too tiny to be noticed anyway. Yeah, it, it's it's a pretty cool idea. And, you know, one of the things I like about changing from Kirby to Heck is that Heck brings his own ideas to how Ant-Man works. Mm-hmm. So this idea of having a tiny costume with him is great. It's just a little bit conceptually weird that he he, he he's at this guy's door shrinks down and gets naked on his welcome mat to turn into Ant-Man. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's true. And where's, where do the clothes go? He hides them in a bush, I guess? I guess. Um, oh. Or maybe he... No, where would he put them? Where would he put them? Yeah. So it's it's not a... It's not bad art. It's just kind of a blah story. And... Yeah. I mean, the only other comment I have is that he controls alien ants, which is kind of interesting. Um, yeah, I'm looking... I mean, uh, they're they're kind of cockroach-looking ants. Yeah, but I mean, the point is, like, you know, what's the limit to his ant-controlling power? And as an Avenger, I imagine he'll go to alien worlds all the time, so this probably comes up again. Like, what kind of insects he can control? Um, and it's just a cool concept, like... There's these crazy mutant alien ants that now work for him because he's on this planet. The one other thing I had was at the end, he gets all the ants, all the alien ants to pull the trigger on the gun. And they do it through a really complex pulley system. <laughs> well, they they are alien ants. They're smarter than our ants, maybe. They know how to I, I guess because they, they've, systems. I don't know. They've aimed the gun, pulled the trigger, and rigged up pulleys all through mental command. It's a yeah, little bit crazy. It is. I think my last comment is an overall comment on the entire story. Did When you read this, did you feel like this was an odd story for Ant-Man? A little bit. Because, I mean, I know eventually he's part of the Marvel Universe and he's an Avenger. And, of course, he's going to travel to different dimensions and stuff. But as of before this issue, he kind of just had normal, like, I mean, he had supervillains, but they were all just trying to like rob banks and stuff. Yeah, it was it was the, it was the hijacker and the protector. And, right. I mean, Egghead it had a little bit of personality and a name to him, but it was still just. I mean, just yeah. Like the only supernatural cream. thing was the uh, large bug that tried to take over the city. The Scarlet Beetle, yep. Scarlet Beetle, but even that you could say. Eh, I don't know. I guess this is science too, an alternate reality. But it just seemed like, whoa, an alternate – I was reading it going, whoa, an alternate reality and Pim's just like fine with it. Uh, I could see Reed Richards being fine with it or something. But it just seemed out of place a little out of place right now. Eventually it won't be. But this was a big jump for me. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm just flipping back to see what exactly he says or how he reacts whenever he realizes where he is. Um, and there's nothing. We don't get to see any of that. You know what's weird is none of the scientists that were also captured seem to be all that upset about it either, other than being captured. We, but, uh, we, we could assume that they had their reactions before we got to that. Okay, yeah. We could also assume that this is part of a bigger Marvel Universe where this stuff is known to exist. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. We haven't, I mean, yeah, if we had seen it. I guess we've seen alien invasions, but I don't think we've yeah, seen any alien not an, invasion on any sort of scale. Not an, not an Ant-Man. Yeah, not an Ant-Man. Um... That's all I have for this. Yeah. I got yeah, no more use for this guy. We've seen some changes in Henry Pym because of Don Heck's different style. and mm-hmm. um, Yeah. So that takes us to Strange Tales 106. 
Strange it, Tales, 106, cover date in March. Oh, go ahead. Actually, going to interrupt you real quick. Uh, just just to uh, clarify the uh, the timing of all this, those two comics were first week comics because they were December 3rd, mm-hmm. 1962. And the rest of this episode and next episode are all second week comics, December 10th, 1962. And then we will wrap up 1962 altogether. Oh, maybe we should do like a yearly review. Too late because we already did a year. But anyway, let's not well, add I do, to I, it. I will reveal, as my voice cracks, I will reveal how our likes matter. Oh, okay. Our likes and dislikes. There you go. That's a cool way to celebrate it. Okay. So, Strange Tales, number 106, as we already said, on sale probably December 10th, 1962. Cover dated March of 1963. Uh, let me see here real quick. Stanley and drawn by, it was written by Stanley and drawn by Dick Ayers. So there's another non-Kirby book. That's probably always been a non-Kirby book and I just never noticed. It started uh, out as a Kirby book. So oh, it did? I'm going to be looking okay. at that while, yeah, while you, okay, while you, you recap, you, I'm looking at the... Uh, all right, you figure that out. Okay. So it starts with the Human Torch doing an obstacle course in like a empty hayfield or parking lot or something that mr fantastic made for him to help him like hone in on his powers and maybe in, and decrease the likelihood that he'll f- flame out all the time maybe um and then he's flying home and he's thinking to himself oh my secret identity oh, oh my secret identity just like thor did in you know two issues ago oh my secret identity but unlike thor everybody watching johnny um fly around are all thinking and talking to themselves <laughs> about how it's freaking johnny and they know it's Johnny. And they're like, oh, it looks like Johnny's done training. And we're all kind of like reading this going, what? How do they know? And meanwhile, while he was gone, someone knocks on the door of Invisible Woman's house, uh, who is the roommate and the sister of Johnny, not Human Torch, but Johnny Storm. And the guy asks, is Human Torch here? And Invisible Woman says, no, he's out flying around. And he says, okay, I'll come back later. And again, us readers go, what? He just got outed by his sister. Anyway, Johnny comes home and he says, hey, sis, any messages? And just then the dude who knocked on the door comes back and says, ah, Human Torch, you've returned. And Johnny's like, where? I don't see the Human Torch. That's weird. And there's like these crickets. And then the guy says, "Uh, you're the Human Torch. Me? How'd you know that? And then his sister pats him on the head and says, Everybody knows that. What? Everybody knows that? (laughs) Yes. They've just figured, since you don't ever bring it up, that you don't want to talk about it. And when you're home, you need your downtime. So the entire city has has somehow unanimously decided to just treat you like a regular civilian. And Johnny's like, well, shrug. Anyway, who are you? And then the guy who was at the door introduces himself by name, but I forget what his name is. But really, we're talking about the acrobat. And he shows off that he's an awesome acrobat. And he says, Johnny, listen, buddy, those Fantastic Four guys, you don't realize you're like the coolest member of the Fantastic Four. When you're flying around, everybody's like, ooh, it's Flame Guy. You you solve all the problems. You win all the battles. You're definitely the most powerful. You should be making some money, and you should be the most famous. And Johnny, as a teenager, is like, that sounds legit. And so the guy's like, listen, either get more money and fame from them, or you should join me, and we could be the terrific twosome. And so Johnny goes to the FF building where Mr. Fantastic and the Thing are there, and he basically presents that argument. And the Thing, of course, uh, 
douses him out with water and tells him to cool off, which doesn't make Johnny happy. And then Reed more logically says, none of us get any money. All the money goes towards, you know, nonprofit scientific research. And of course, we can't favor one person over the other in the Fantastic Four. We're all equals. So this doesn't make Johnny happy. And he flies away mad. He goes home. He sews some cool new outfits for his new team, the Terrific Twosome, these weird green army looking outfits. And Acrobat comes back. And Johnny says, hey, okay, fine. Let's be partners. What do you want to do? And the acrobat says, coincidentally, I actually have a job for us. See, there's this guy who works at the bank, and he accidentally locked himself into the vault. And the vault has automatic locks and will not open for at least until like two the next day. So he's going to be stuck in there for 48 hours or 24 hours or something. And they can't get him out. And Johnny's like, I can get him out. And he takes off from the terrific twosome and makes it a wonderful onesome. And he flies right into the bank and he just like melts through this, uh, you know, really thick, round, stereotyped, uh, you know, bank vault door. And he gets in and he goes, ta-da, you're saved, guard. But there's no guard. And he says, what? And he looks around and there's the acrobat who has just gassed everybody else in the bank. And he says, ha ha, I lied. I just wanted you to open the safe so that I could get the money. And Human Torch is like, ah, I totally knew that. Um, I was just wanting to see when you would become villainous. But yeah, I totally knew that. And he tries to fight him, but before he can, I can't remember what the dude does, but probably some sort of asbestos, asbestos thing or something like, oh no, he sh- yeah, he deflames him and shoots him with a gun, which is pretty serious, kids. We're going to have to talk about the comic code, I think, after this. Um, yeah, we will. He shoots him with a gun, and he, like, falls over, and he falls on his face, and it looks like he's probably dead. Like, there's just this groan sound, and that's it. And the acrobat jumps in his car and goes to drive away, but he can't because when he looks in the rearview mirror, there's the thing. The thing is holding his car, and the invisible woman's in the car. And she was there the whole time. She apparently just hitched a ride with him, which is awesome. And then Reed Richards, like, wraps his arms around the car and, like, makes him so he can't get out. Um, And they totally capture him in, like, three seconds. No problem. Issue's over. But no, it's not. Because Human Torch comes out holding his arm, which is apparently what got shot. And he's wounded. And he says, he's mine. Well, he tries to say it like that. But he's the (laughs) Human Torch. He's like, hey, he's mine. Um, And they're like, okay. And they let him go. And the acrobat does what the acrobat does, jumps around and flies all over the place. And the human torch tries to fly after him, but he's having a little bit of a problem because he's got a hurt wing. So it's thrown off his balance. But he ultimately does it, gets the guy to like fall off his high, you know, perch place in some building. And like that doesn't stop him, though. He keeps trying to fly away or, you know, run away. And then the human torch like melts the asphalt around his feet so that it hardens and he gets stuck. And then they arrest him again. So essentially they just let him go just to arrest him again. And then it ends with them, with Sue um, giving Human Torch his costume back. And Johnny once again claiming to everybody, I totally knew he was a bad guy. I was just playing him along, guys. That whole like fighting you thing when he wasn't even there, that was all fake. I swear. Totally and, swear. And they're all like, yeah, we believe you, dork. And that was the end. <sighs> yeah. So, um, <laughs> I love that sigh. <laughs> that symbolizes the entire issue. So just, I just have to point out something. So this is not the terrific twosome. It is the torrid twosome. <laughs> well, that's the and title the, of the story, yes. The, the reason I point out that it's the torrid twosome is that 
torrid means hot, which, you know, is great for the torch. It's usually used in one context. Mainly in English, the only thing that was torrid is a torrid love affair. (laughs) (laughs) So there's that. And also it's just a a negative word. (laughs) Yeah. So if you have a hot and steamy relationship, you're having a torrid love affair and more power to you. I'm very pleased with your life choices. Um, Johnny has met this guy and now they're off to have a torrid partnership. Yep. Um, Is that why you wanted to talk about the comics code authority? (laughs) No, uh, no, you know, with the, with the weapons. Yeah. Probably worth bringing up. Um, so we throw obstacle course every now and uh, then. Yeah. But it's not really, I mean, I, 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 it always feels silly every time he does it. Like he's just, I can fly through stuff. You know, what's weird is he says redesigned it for him. And I'm like, wow, is that the best he can do? That's not even like an, you know, a 16th of what he could do. It was, it's just like some barrels laying all over the ground and he flies through them. And then like, there's these tin cans on the ground that he has to shoot with his fireballs. It's like, I could do that. I feel like Reed just was like, yeah, yeah, kid. Okay, fine. I'll make you one. And then he just found a junkyard. He's like, yeah, look what I made for you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I like like, um, the Reed who doesn't give a shit about Johnny. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Which is, which is every appearance of Reed in this book. Yeah. Yeah, he is very whatever when it comes to Johnny Storm because Reed only cares about Sue and doesn't ever know how to express it anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so, so this is finally the issue that we already talked about or alluded to when I first complained that he shouldn't have a secret identity. Mm-hmm. Um, this is it. And I have to say, uh, you told me, so you know, we were all lamenting that I was spoiled and whatever, but still, like I felt like... I was surprised by this issue because I was amazed at how quickly they wrapped it up and didn't care about it. Yeah. Like they just kind of go doop, doop, doop. Yeah. It doesn't exist. I kind of wanted like his friends to say something or, or make an entire issue out of it or something. Yeah. Don't just like sweep it under the rug. Well, Literally. That is, yeah. There's nothing in the art here that says that his secret identity gets revealed. So like maybe just Stan put that in there as an afterthought. Um, well, he does look like a like he's the dumbest guy in the world in that last panel when they're talking about yeah. it. But, but like as we've said, there were letter pages and letter pages of everybody like going, "What the heck? This makes no sense." You know, like even in 1962, this made no sense that he had a secret identity. So they were eventually started doing the whole like backtrack. Oh, believe those guys, we're gonna fix it. And then this was their fix. And you're right; it's like it's almost it's just sweeping it under the rug as fast as possible. Let's forget that happened. Forget we said anything and move on. Before we get too far in the comic, I want to point out one thing because there are a couple uh, thematic things I want to point out. Um, in the early days of Superman, like early days, whenever Clark would turn into Superman, he would hide his clothes. Mm-hmm. And the writers and artists wouldn't forget. And the stories would actually have him go back to that spot mm. and get his clothes. Mm-hmm. That got dropped pretty quickly, but it did become a trope of Spider-Man. Yeah. And we're seeing that here on page two, after torching around and, you know, flying around, he goes down to whatever alley he had his clothes in and he puts on his clothes and turns back into, into Johnny storm. And this feels so Peter Parker. Oh yeah. And, and this is not the first time we felt that way about this book. Um, I think that might be another reason they swept this under the rug is because at this very moment, Stan is also about to release Spider-Man again. Mm -hmm. And so he's probably like, well, I can just use Spider-Man as my secret identity high school kid with problems character 
and Johnny can just go back to being a Fantastic Four member. How do you feel about how easily Johnny was convinced? Well, as we've stated before, Marvel's not so great with teenagers. Mm-hmm. And so I think one of the tropes is that they're really, really dumb or gullible, or you can appeal to their ego. Because this has happened with Rick Jones, too. Like, General Ross just snowballs Rick Jones into setting up the Hulk, you know? Like, easily. Mm-hmm. Do it for the government. Okay, sure. Gee willikers, you know? Um, so I I didn't really roll my eyes at that. I mean, that is exactly what he's doing. He's playing to Human Torch's ego, and Human Torch is, what, 16, 17 years old and struggling with fame. So I guess I could see that happening. It just it feels like, I don't know. It's very rushed. Now, in a modern-day telling, this would have been an entire graphic novel worth of, like, seeding him into quitting or giving it up kind of thing versus two pages. But Right. Uh, but He yeah. turns on his friends really quickly and easily. I, just, I thought it was a little interesting that he could be so easily swayed. But you're right. There is a page count concern. They've got to get this in and get it under there. Um, he only and, pulls out two of the 11 FF stories, though, to convince the well, torch. And right. even Sue got that many. Right. Yeah, that they seem to really cherry pick, you know, when someone when when or someone was successful or not and make it sound like that's they're just successful all the time. It doesn't help that the thing like pours a vase of water on his head either, but Yeah. Right after right after Johnny asks for a salary. Mm-hmm. Another proto Spider Man move, which I found upsetting when I read it. This seem at least now like the thing in Torch when they fight, it seems less uh, violent and mean. Even mm-hmm. this, even this, you know, he's he's gonna pour the water on his head to cool him off to, while he drums some sense into him. You know, that's not I'm going to kill you, <laughs> you know, anymore. So that's nice anyway. And the reeds back there holding the things like, will you two stop acting like prima donnas? So he knows that they're just you know being immature and goofing around. Mm-hmm. Um, he puts that torch. In his, he puts that pipe in his mouth though. He's like, okay, Johnny, you made your point. But I can't buy it. We don't have any money for you. There's no glory. We're all taking credit. But he just looks like such a like a, an asshole as he's yeah. sitting there. Why do pipes do that? Why do pipes sometimes make you look like you're just a total dork? I mean, like jerk. It makes me think of like, uh, did the guy in My Three Sons or something smoke a pipe? Was that Fred McMurray? I don't know that show very well. I always think of Fred McMurray when pipe smoking is involved, and I'm not really sure why. Just like the 60s dad thing. But um I know I watched my three sons because I can see the animated shoes. <laughs> right. Thing. That's all I can really think of too. But, I know I watched it. Um, but that makes you wonder if they don't have any money, as in apparently they're like a, the money they get goes towards their building and then anything after that is research, right? Scientific research. So how does Sue and uh, Johnny have a house? You know, are they just independently wealthy? Maybe. Maybe. She... She lived next door to Reed. So if Reed was the son of a millionaire, she lived in a nice, ha- nice part of town, too. That's a good point. Um, she might have money. Headcanon works. Also, it might cover their housing expenses. It might cover their, covering their living expenses. I mean, really what I feel like Johnny is asking for here is an allowance. Mm-hmm. And by the way, since when do they take reward money? We almost let them get away with that. The Fantastic Four takes reward money? That doesn't sound very superheroic. Uh, well, it's definitely against the Legion code. I'm hoping that it's like the reward money we earn. So I guess whenever they do get prizes for capturing bad guys, (laughs) here's Dr. Doom. All right. That's another $20,000 check read. Here you go. Yeah. I don't don't know who's rewarding them. Hopefully not like people strapped for cash because that's not very nice, but it's taxpayers. 
Yeah, it's taxpayers. Dang it. So, uh, Acrobat. Acrobat reminds me of uh, Pastepot Pete. In oh, that, yeah? How's that? In that one, they both walk around with kind of funky guns strapped to things on their back. This, in this case, mm-hmm. is an asbestos liquid gun or something. But they also have no costumes. And they eventually become like full-on supervillains with the fancy costumes and stuff like that. Uh, I don't know if Marvel's still trying very hard to like not allow their superheroes to go full-on superhero. What's with the French berets and the army uniforms and stuff? Or do they just not know that supervillains are awesome? Has nobody made a supervillain at this point in time? Does DC not have supervillains? That seems unlikely. Oh, wow. No, why there definitely are, are supervillains over at DC, but... Why are they not just full-on, I'm the acrobat, and here's my awesome purple outfit with a big A on it, you know? <laughs> like, they don't do that for some reason. Does, it's all militant looking. Does the acrobat looking. stick around? Yeah. He's in Captain America. That's why it reminds oh. me of Pacepot Pete, because both of them end up in doing, you know, fighting Cap again. And when I first read them, they were full-on superheroes with, like, outfits and stuff. And so it's just weird to see them, like, kind of mundane looking in these issues. I totally did not know. I know I know the Acrobat's next story, mm-hmm. uh, which I was going to leave, you know, on the table because I want to make a gag about it later. But, um, yeah, but he yeah get, I, I, didn't, he, I didn't know he stuck around after that. Yeah, he gets a full, like, purple spandex uniform with, like, the white gloves and the domino mask and all. It's like a full-on, uh, you know, supervillain. Well, not super because he doesn't have any powers, but no, it's right. just weird. So, yeah, Maybe it's just this just book. Kind of weird. He, he but, feels a little bit like Batroff. Well, it doesn't help with the whole French barrette thing, yeah. But uh, but exactly with 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 the mustaches and the Frenchness and hopping around. I mean, he just he feels a little bit like. But Batroff does have. Have we had a supervillain yet? Like a legit Doctor Doom. Oh, Doctor Doom, yeah. But that's like more like a a knight or something, you know. Like it's still not like a dude in spandex. But then again, they don't really do that in any of their heroes yet either. So interesting. Yeah, you said to define what you consider the qualifications for a supervillain because I mean, Doctor Doom has come back a few times, Submariner has sure. come back a few times, but um, oh yeah, that's true. I just meant like, have we had a spandex wearing? I can't think of guy. There's no, there's no Riddler. There's no, no. Penguin. There's no Captain Cold. No, nothing like that. Interesting. This is a really elaborate plot just to crack a bank vault. Like, yeah, he's, not, he's lucky that Johnny is enough of a loser to make it work. <laughs> Right. Yeah. And what a hothead. He just blows right on through. Doesn't even ask if, you know, hey, is this the bank with the guy inside, you know? Because there's people standing at the counter. Like, from their point of view, the human torch just flies on in and blows right through their vault. Right. Because they could have said, what are you talking about? There's no guy in there. But that's okay. Okay. So, Comics Code Authority, bang, bang, shoot, shoot. Hey, what page of uh, the story are you on? Page eight. All right. So, what is the rules for, like, legit straight up shooting somebody? Because they did. Now, is that that's a gun, right? He shot him. Yeah. Yeah, that's a gun. He he douses his flame with an asbestos superhero like hose, and then he pulls out a gun and says, "Stay back, don't rush me." And then shoots until he's clicking. And Johnny's on the ground, face down, going, "Oh, you rotten! Oh!" And it looks like he's dead. Yeah, I am not sure what it is. Now, people have shot each other. Um, well, it says click, click, click. Now, the art says click, click, but the narration says blast that the gun's jammed. Well, the panel prior, though, says blam, and he's on the ground. Yeah, so I don't know if he, he like, shot multiple times or um, – oh. I don't remember anything in the comics code against Okay. Shooting. It just seemed like a violent scene to me. 
Yeah, no, uh, I agree. I agree. For 1962. Uh, but I guess the point was to, for us to think that he was hurt worse than he was, and then, you know, it's just a flesh wound, I guess. Right. Scenes of excessive violence should be prohibited. No brutal torture, excessive or unnecessary knife or gunplay. I guess this is not considered excessive or unnecessary gunplay. Right. And he's a bad guy, so it's okay, I guess. Yeah, it's not presented in a way to create sympathy for the criminal. So, um, yeah. So he shoots Johnny, and Johnny's on the ground. I guess Johnny gets better. Mm-hmm. I love uh, that's the only other comment yeah, I really have is the, go ahead. The story, his arm's wounded. He can't flame on oh, his yeah. arm. No, yeah, he's hurt. He's got a bullet in his arm. Um, so that's kind of messed bullet. up. Yeah, it's metal, dude. Yeah, well, it's norm- lead. Well, normally they melt, you know. I love the Fantastic Four rescuing him or you know stopping the acrobat. Otherwise, I don't really have much else to say about this issue. But I thought it was cool that finally, instead of it just being some cameo and Johnny needs to fin- figure this out for himself, they're kind of like, you know what? He just quit and he's having a hard time. Let's go check it out. And, and they totally kicked the acrobat's to butt. Spider-Man every, I was starting to see Spider-Man everywhere because by the time you get to page 13, he melts the tar to get the guy's feet to stick on the road, mm-hmm. which I just felt was like like Spider-Man's web sticking people to the road. So I was just – I started, it bothers me that I know. so much of Strange Tales shows up in Spider-Man. And even, even in the sixth panel, there's a freaking costume in an alleyway trash can. And I'm not okay with this. This is bad. I think from now on we should refer to him as Human Torch colon, the original Spider-Man. The original Spider-Man. What's up with Reed's look at the fourth panel on that last page? <laughs> he got a bowl cut or something. Yeah, I don't know. He lost his uh, his gray sideburns. He, he's all like short trimmed now. Got the clippers on his head. I got to say though, like I'm the bar's low because I haven't really loved any of this title. But this is probably my favorite issue of the run so far. Is it really interesting? Okay. Yeah, because there's just nothing particularly wrong. I mean, they got rid of the stupid identity thing. Fantastic Four makes a full-on appearance. The acrobat's kind of fun to chase around. and Yeah, I mean, other than Johnny just being a huge bonehead. I was talking to Stephen Lacey uh, as we were building up toward the launch of the show. He's from the Fantastic cast. Uh And he said, I probably won't be reading along because his own Marvel reading is way ahead of us. And also, he says, you couldn't pay me to reread Strange Tale. Although, surprisingly, <laughs> it's not our least favorite book, usually. No, not um, always. So, it's 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 funny. Also, Steve is one half of the Fantastic cast. The other half is my good friend, Andrew Leyland. You should definitely give them a listen. But always listen to their episodes of Fantastic Four coverage after hours, because they're better. <laughs> well, they're specializing. That's not fair. They're specializing, so they're going to be better in their one area than we are. Um, by, by the way, you recommending um, explaining the X Men podcast to me, yeah, was kind of horrible because I'm so addicted to it right now. And I remember pretty fantastic, isn't it? And I'm remembering like how much I used to love the X Men back when I was a teenager in the '90s and early 2000s and all that stuff. Um, and I wasn't a teenager in the early 2000s. But anyway, uh, yeah, not only is it fantastic, but it's right now we're nowhere near the X-Men. So I'm all excited about the X-Men and we're not talking about the X-Men at all. And then Avengers Infinity is coming out and I'm still excited to see that. But part of me is also like, I kind of want to watch an X-Men movie or Deadpool or something like that, you know, because explaining the X-Men. So it's really bad timing. I should be listening to an Avengers podcast or or something else. But There's an Avengers podcast over at Two True Freaks. They do one. Okay. uh, I am starting to wonder if Johnny is actually capable of solving a crime without the Fantastic Four. Um, 
He did the first issue because the thing just made a cameo. Thing just made a cameo that said "you suck" and walked away. He didn't really help. That was just a thing cameo. Yeah, Um, but otherwise, yeah. Sue has saved his butt once, and then he kind of saved her butt back, and then the Fantastic Four altogether showed up in this one. All right, are we are we done with Strange Tales one hundred six? Let's do legit Fantastic Four and then wrap this baby up. Actual Fantastic Four, and hey. You know, we're not running long. We're just yeah. at the hour mark. So we're going to squeeze one more issue into this. But this and is the I'm... most important issue of our podcast. Oh, the Fantastic 412. This is it, guys. This is why this podcast exists. This is the first legit bringing together of two separate Marvel entities right. into a shared universe story. Yep. This is pretty great. So the Fantastic Four 12 is the Incredible Hulk meets the Fantastic Four. It is a book-length epic. Need we say more? You will say more, Stanley. You can't help it. (laughs) All right. We open up. Ben Grimm is on a date with his young friend slash budding romance, Alicia Master, the blind stepdaughter of the puppet master from several issues earlier. And while they're leaving the theater, there is a procession of military men going down the street. Um, I think the thing bumps into somebody, and so his, his disguise of his coat and hat and sunglasses gets ruffled. And the army sees, hey, there's this monster in the street. And um, the thing picks up the guy who bumped him. And so they're like, hey, the monster's really strong. <gasps> He must be the Hulk. (laughs) Our awesome intel, yeah. They go after the thing who is not very happy about being called the Hulk. And whenever they finally decide to stop and the 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 you know commanding officer's like, sorry, sir, we're just gonna we're just gonna go now. Have a have a good day. And it's like rah 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 rah. So Ben uh, and uh, takes Alicia home and goes back to the Baxter building. He tears up the elevator because he can't find his doohickey to open the door. (laughs) <laughs> climbs the cables and goes to find his friends up at the top of the building. General Thunderbolt Ross comes to play and says that I want to, you to help me find the Incredible Hulk and destroy him. So he's enlisting the Fantastic Four to help them track down the Hulk. Shows them some movies and some pictures on a on a projection screen and then all of the Fantastic Four are like you know, if I fought the Hulk, I'd do this. If I fought the Hulk, I'd do this. And 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 so it's like, wow, if I fought the Hulk, I'd I'd get splattered into invisible mayonnaise. So I probably I'm just gonna um and uh Ross is like, I'm sure just having a beautiful woman like you is good for team morale. Uh. And Reed Richards, ever the uh ever the progressive thinker, says, That's just how we feel about Sue. And then <laughs> so, pets her on the butt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah pads with head bop bop beep boop and just you know ah, it's it's terrible so um let's see they show off the fantastic car to ross they ride in the car to ross's headquarters where they meet bruce banner bruce's mm-hmm. assistant dr carl court and his young helper rick jones and dr court's like huh fantastic four here to, to help catch the whole con it's pretty crazy See, here's here's the here's the catch behind what's been going on. There have been a lot of military installations that have been um, self-destructed. They've found them like destroyed. Uh, like, is it? Um, I, 
like melted and, and bungled and they have a name for the guy that they're trying to catch. I forget what it is, but the only people who use it are Bruce Banner and Rick because they're the only ones who know that it's not the Hulk who's destroying this stuff. So to make a long story tolerable, um, Carl Court leaves. Johnny and Ben also leave. They find the wallet of Carl Court. They decide to give it back to him. Instead, they hand it to Rick Jones. Rick Jones looks aside. He's like, oh my gosh, Carl Court, he's carrying his membership card for the evil bastard commies. It's a commie bastard membership card for Carl Court. He's member number, I don't know, something evil. 666. 666 R U S S R. I don't know. Um, so, yeah. Basically, the Hulk and Rick Jones decide to, to catch the, I forget the name, the record, the wrecker, the wrecker. Yes. They're calling this guy the wrecker, who turns out to be Carl Court. Along the way, there's this, like, high-speed one-man train thing that they decide to test for no reason whatsoever. And the thing gets tied into it, and while the thing is being shot down the rails at, you know, at ludicrous speed, um, the rails in front of him get, get busted up. And they think it's the Hulk, but no, it's the Wrecker. They go down into the tunnels below ground to see if they can find the Wrecker. Meanwhile, Rick, uh, Bruce Banner turns into the Hulk and goes below ground to find the Wrecker. Meanwhile, the Wrecker, Carl Court, has taken Rick Jones captive. And so all of this comes together. The Fantastic Four run into the Hulk in the tunnels. They fight. The fight goes up top. It destroys a ghost town. And Carl Court aims a gun from below ground or something like that and shoots Hulk in the head. I forget what that was. Yeah. It was a beam that hit Hulk in the head. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. Okay. So, Adam powered Ray. Adam powered Ray. So the Hulk collapses because it's the Fantastic Four comic. We can't have him overshadowing. And the Fantastic Four punch their way back down to the ground. They find Carl. They rescue Rick. The Hulk's like, oh, I'm glad Rick's safe. I got to turn back into Bruce Banner now. Going to jump back to my cave. And, um, you know, a few minutes later, Bruce Banner is back at Army Installation. Rick Jones is all better. Reed and Bruce shake hands. And it's kind of like a wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Hey, we should talk about the Hulk sometime. Know what I mean? Know what I mean? Hmm. And they leave. Yeah. And the Marvel Universe is born. And that's how the Marvel Universe was born. That's how we got our first crossover. This is kind of um, kind of a swan song for the Hulk. I mean, he's going uh, to have yeah. one more issue. Yeah. But this is like, before I leave, though, I'm going to connect with everyone else. We're going to make this a real thing. So do you think his sales were doing so poorly that they did this last ditch? Let's make him a guest star of our best-selling book and see if that picks up anything. Because it's right um, before number six. Yeah, that would imply that they were planning to make a number seven. And they didn't get sales reports back with any sort of speed. Mm. So I'm not sure if... I feel like seven would have been in production or even drawn and done before they found out how six... That's true. But I just don't know that because I you know, wasn't around back then. Even yeah. with the bi-monthly release schedule. If Who it knows? Monthly, there'd be several issues between whenever they find right. out. Right, Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Because, I don't know that he was canceled because of bad sales. Do we know that for a fact, or am I just assuming? Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm pretty sure that came out in a, a letter column later that who, people who liked who read the Hulk loved it, but not enough people read it. Okay, okay, poor Hulk, but we know he'll he'll survive. So, 
This issue does have a classic cover. This is the cover that was redone as a painted image for the second Masterworks volume. So the digital copy that I have, which is part of Masterworks Volume 2, has a painted version of this image as the leading cover. It's a very good cover. Um, it's, you know, split down the middle. You got the Hulk on one side of the wall and the Fantastic Four on the other. And they're both thinking, any minute now, we're going to encounter each other and fight, which is very exciting. And Ben and Alicia are on a date. And they have great taste in music. That was my takeaway, that I would oh, hang out with Oh, the with Beethoven's either. Fifth Symphony? <laughs> and, and Ben is like, no, I like jazz. So either way, I'd hang out with either of them, and neither of them are actually cool, but <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> but, you know, it kind of in, in tracking Ben's emotional interests, I've been paying very much attention to the nuances of how his relationship with Alicia has been written. Uh-huh. And so far, they've been described as friends. Right. This is the first time that we've seen them going out on a date. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. They did talk about her being his girlfriend in the Reed Richards body swap Freaky Friday story. Okay, but when um, did they when did they talk about that? At the beginning? Because that's a comic book. That's yeah, not at real. the beginning, and, and, and that might not count, but then later in the issue, Doctor oh. Doom says, oh. you know, if you had your powers enhanced seventy thousand fold, you know, you could turn back into Ben Grimm and, and your girlfriend Alicia would love you forever and and I was like, how how does Doctor Doom know that he has a girlfriend, Alicia? That that's weird. Well, apparently he doesn't know because they're not boyfriend and girlfriend yet. He got oh, that wrong. Yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe he was just assuming. Maybe Ben wants it to be a relationship, and Alicia's playing it cool, but she likes him. Yeah, I think it's, it might be more the other way around that Alicia's interested in him, mm-hmm. and he is testing the waters he's probably it's not that he's not interested in her i bet if i can read ben's mind that it's more like am i interested in putting myself uh you know in a relationship with her and ruining her life because i wouldn't want to be you know part of a club that would have me as a member one of those kind of ideas you know well bonus she looks just like the girl he does like so yeah but he hates himself so much he probably wouldn't even want to be in a relationship that's true um, the thing does have to overreact a bit sometimes. One guy jostles him and he's like, rah, 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 and picks him up and throws him around. Yeah. But I like this. Uh, so he hates the Hulk already. Or he doesn't mm-hmm. He doesn't like being called the Hulk anyway. Probably because he hates the Hulk. And he hates the Hulk. They've never met. Um, Hulk versus Thing is a very, you know, uh, uh, common Classic. thing. Classic fight in the Marvel Universe. Usually the Hulk comes out on top or at least, you know. Seems like he came comes out on top. Um, but the thing has always hated the Hulk, and I kind of like that he hates him already before they even fight for the first time. Um, and I've always thought the thing hates the Hulk way more than the Hulk cares about the thing. Probably. Because probably because either it's it's dumb Hulk who doesn't really think about such things other than when he's directly fighting something, or even smart Hulk has like better things to do than worry about. <laughs> The thing, but I think the I think the thing just sees the Hulk as like a bad reflection of himself or something, and he's just always hated him for some reason. And it goes back to whatever the the torch was holding up the comic with the Hulk in it. You know, this oh yeah, this was a shared universe. Like, hey, thing, you kind of look like this monster in this magazine. He's like, why are you yeah. wanna? Yeah, so that makes sense. It's like he already feels bad that he's a quote unquote monster. He doesn't want to be a monster. Now here's this actual monster running around, and everybody's saying, "Gee, thing, you look just like him." So of course he hates him. But I do feel bad for him because, you know, he's he has this encounter where the army is attacking him just because he's monstrous. So he's being mm-hmm. reminded of his inhumanity in the middle of trying to, you know, navigate this new friendship with Alicia. Is it a friendship? Is it a romantic involvement? Who knows? 
but he's trying to navigate that with Alicia. This all happens, and so whenever he gets back home, at the top of page five, he is just in the worst mood, and that is an excellent pouty face. And great. I love his feet, too. Three little yeah. toes. Three big toes, I guess. But isn't it cool that he, um, not to be all about power fantasies all the time, because that's not really interesting critique, but Sometimes I'm reading these and it's just like, oh, that was a cool scene, you know? And I like that, like, the army throws what they have intended for the Hulk at the thing and he easily passes their crappy little test, too. Right. And which character is, is stronger, the thing or the Hulk? Yeah. Has been debated. I, I, I tend to go with the Hulk being stronger because he's so massively powerful. Um, whereas the thing, the thing is always just shown more lovable that it's hard to, like, see that he has so much strength. Well,. For one thing, the Hulk has unlimited strength, theoretically, if you go by that that slogan he has, the matter I get, the stronger I get, you know. Is that mm-hmm. how is there a limit to that? I don't know. But I've always thought it's better if the thing is the weaker one of the two, because then that makes him cooler in a fight with the Hulk. Right. Because he's the underdog. Um Yeah, that's just my opinion. But yeah, I tend to agree with you that the Hulk is probably stronger. Yeah. Eventually. Um the thing let's see. He destroys that elevator. I guess this is going to get fixed by next episode. Yeah. Well, they have a lot of money because they don't pay human torch or anything. Right. They save they save those ten dollars a week. <laughs> <laughs> I do like this whole scene. You're right, though. Like he's just grumpy and just climbing up the thing, you know, or climbing up the you know the ele- the elevator uh, cables and cables. stuff, and then just pouting and upset. Yeah, it's all really fun. Um, General Ross can be a respectable, polite individual when he wants to be. Yeah, when he wants to use them for his purposes, yeah. I kind or, of, in my head, tend to liken him as to Jason and Jameson. They seem to have similar crusty personalities and yell a lot, but Jameson yeah. is not polite as easily as, as Ross is. I was going to say, it reminds me of how J. Jonah Jameson would be the first to kick Spider-Man out of his window, but when Captain America walks in, he salutes. Right. right? So, like, maybe the Fantastic Four are a different caliber in uh, General Ross's mind than, you know, this rampaging monster that may or may not have been his own creation. <laughs> yeah. And destroy the Hulk. Like, he's going to the Fantastic Four to help him destroy the Hulk. Really, that's that's an interesting choice. And they, you know, I kind of feel, and it's not written, so this is just my own little headcanon, but they don't say anywhere, like, heck yeah, let's obliterate that that horrible person right do they as far as i know they kind of just no. go they're kind of just going along watching the footage read is sort of like this is really fascinating and i sort of feel like they are going along with it and wanting to get involved to one help them figure out who's destroying all these army bases and two maybe to meet the hulk and encounter the hulk and deal with the hulk but i don't think it was ever in any sort of bloodthirsty we're going to take him out kind of way more like you know why wouldn't reed richards and the fantastic four be interested in checking out the hulk um, Susan Storm loses control of her visibility. Doesn't lose control of her invisibility. She loses control of her visibility when she is startled by the Hulk movie and turns invisible. That makes sense, though, doesn't it? Does it? That means that it seems to imply that invisible is her default state. Well, what I thought it meant was if she panics, she turns invisible. Wouldn't you? Um, well, yeah, to that she's... She's visible watching it, and then she gets scared, so her defense mechanism is to turn invisible. Okay. Right? The way I read it, she says she lost control of her visibility power, so I thought that meant, like, whatever control aspect is involved, she lets go of it. Oh. 
Okay, I see and, how you're saying it. And by letting go of her control power, she turns invisible. That's one way to look at it. I just thought like more like she didn't purposely change. She instinctively changed because she lost control. Um, and she was letting fright take flight kind of thing. So her invisibility at this point might be so natural to her that it is something she does as an instinctive defense now. If I could turn invisible and I went to a scary movie, I'd probably turn invisible a lot. Mm. You know, just out of habit or instinct, I guess. Um, page seven, I'm just kind of cruising along here. So if you have anything to say that I'm passing mm. on, feel free to. Mm-mm. But page seven, panel one, Ben is again trying to impress Sue. He was yeah. the most terrifying looking creature I've ever seen. Heck, seems to me I ought to be insulted. You've seen me, haven't you? What am I, a panty waist? And it's just like, poor Ben. He just wants Sue to appreciate him and to love him, even it's because he's a strong monster and she likes she thinks the Hulk is stronger. Or he's like, um, you know, fishing for compliments. <laughs> yeah. Oh, thing, you're not nearly as hideous as the Hulk. Thank you. That's what I was going for. Right. And you are really strong. Yeah, my arms are big. This is like a new thing that the Fantastic Four are doing. It seems like every issue there's this page dedicated to each individual member fantasizing how they would deal with something. Mm-hmm. How would we? How would we lock up Doom? You know, and then every single member comes up with their own fantastical way of imprisoning Doctor Doom. And now it's how would we beat the Hulk? Here's all our different ways, except for Sue because she's just a girl. <laughs> but look at page eight. Um, 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 Great Lakes Avengers. Anyone? Or is that just me? You ever heard of that I team? I haven't read any Great Lakes Avengers. I know the reference. Well, there's a team. There's a guy on that team who can stretch, but he's also very flat. I can't remember his name. So okay. I bring I bring it up, and I can't even remember what his name is. But this Reed Richards looks exactly like that guy. So I'm sure that's exactly what issue they took to make <laughs> that happen. Well, New fan- um, go ahead. I was just remembering the whole you know feminism forgetfulness mm-hmm. in panel three of page eight. It's like. You know, Stanley is on record as talking about how feminist his ideas were in his comics, and it's just like, what, what, what was feminism again, Stan? We just have Sue because she's moral support, yeah, or not moral support, but the keep the men's morale up. I, I honestly think since people have complained about the Invisible Woman being on the team and him trying to defend her, he makes her worse, oh. or or he makes the situation worse. Like I was fine with Invisible Woman until they started saying like, you know, in the comic itself, trying to address readers concerns like you know oh you are powerful sue i swear and then like patting her on the head and her going no i'm not gee willikers you know that's the stuff that's bugging me right she was fine before i mean yeah her power kind of sucks right now because all she can do is turn invisible but she still managed to make some cool plays with those powers in the first three or four issues and now it's like every freaking issue we have to have this apology about sue being on the team and her kind of like, yeah, I probably shouldn't be here. And that's just like making her a worse character. It is. It is. I agree. Uh, but we do have a new Fantastic Car. Yeah. And it's much better. And this is the one that goes into the the, car, the cartoon series, right? This is like yeah. your classic 60s Fantastic Car. Yeah. I don't I don't know if it's ident- exactly identical. I haven't seen that show with Herbie. Are, are you talking about in forever? No, the, the 60s cartoon, the Fantastic. Um, oh, do, 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 do. I, I forget how the tune goes. It only lasted a season. It came out um, the year, I want to say it was the same year as the really, um, depending on your perspective, 
the Marvel superheroes ah, cartoon. Those wonderfully the, animated the, cartoons. Yeah. yeah, Wonderfully animated. That's a great phrase of the five different heroes. Fantastic uh, four came out that same year. And then Spider-Man came out the next year. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if this is that car, but it certainly better than the bathtub they were flying in. Better than the bathtub. And they, they talk about in the story. Yeah. The other one looked like a bathtub. So, you know, we got it. We got a Johnny to help us do. This. Okay. So speaking of fantastic car, page nine, Bruce Banner, Rick Jones, on the last two panels, we officially have mm-hmm. a crossover. Oh, actually, I guess we, we did with the whole flashback stuff, too. But um, this is official, official real crossover. The characters are here. Real-time crossover. So let me ask you something. Have you ever read, like, a lot of Superman? Hear me out. Read a lot of Superman and, like, say your favorite titles written by Dan Jurgens, and you've read, like, maybe 50 issues or something. And then you go and read, like, a guest appearance of Superman and, say, Doom Patrol written by, you know, Jerry Yahoo or something. And you go, God, this just seems so out of character and, you know, not like what I'm used to in the Dan Jurgens Superman that I've been reading. You know, like, why are they making Superman kind of weird? Or he just seems like, like a different person, right? Has that ever happened to you? Yeah. Okay. Yes. Well... That's kind of how I feel with Rick Jones and Bruce Banner when I'm reading this comic, which makes no sense since both are being written and drawn by Stanley and Jack Kirby, both um, Hulk and Fantastic Four. But they seem kind of different or weird in this book to me. And whenever whenever Spider-Man appears in other people's books, he also ends up seeming weird. So I don't know what it is about the fact that it's all narrated by the same guy. And drawn by the same guy. come off playing weirdly. Yeah, yeah, in this particular case, drawn by the same guy. But, I mean, he would never get more artists into the field. Stan Lee is basically narrating the entire Marvel Universe for 10 years here. Yeah, I don't know. I just – that was an impression I got when I was reading this, that that Bruce Banner and Rick Jones seemed a bit off. Now, granted, we don't really know their personalities that well anyway uh, with only five issues of Bad Incredible Hulk stories. But, mm-hmm. like, it's it, it just seemed like Kirby was drawing them for the first time or something. <coughs> I don't know. That was my impression. Maybe you didn't feel the same way, but no, 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 it's weird. And at the top of page ten, when they actually get to shake hands, mm-hmm. Reed Richards says, "It'll be a pleasure to work with you, Doctor Banner. I've long been an admirer of your atomic research, and I'm a huge fan of the way you lose control and turn into an enormous green <laughs> rage monster." Right. And then Bruce Banner says, "I'm highly flattered that the most brilliant scientific brain of our time should say that to me." Oh wait, no, you're not, because those alien toad guys came after me, not you. The alien toad guys totally did come after him. So Reed Richards, maybe it was a proximity thing. I don't know. Or maybe uh, Bruce was being ironic. Yeah, maybe. But we but know. I don't, Reed, I don't, we, it seems it, irony there or sarcasm or whatever. It seems like a, a dick move after being you know flattered and whatever. Um, but then Johnny tries to pick up Carl Quartz's wallet with <laughs> a flame lasso. <sighs> well, he's been working on it. That's a, that's a great way to burn shit up, Johnny. That makes no sense. But that's, again, like, wasn't he ejecting missiles with a flame missile launcher in his last book? So apparently he's Green Lantern with flame now. I guess. I don't get it either. Um, then Johnny and Ben just start acting like children. They are literally acting like children. They're bored in the hallway, so they bust into an important meeting and just start gallivanting around being silly and disrupting. It's just like, uh, wow, are you 12? Seriously, you can't take the FF anywhere without like at least one room being destroyed for no reason. And losing all of your telephone books because the thing turns uh-huh. beast. Yeah. And see, now General Ross isn't nice anymore at this point. So now he's back into character. Right. And um, I, love how, to... I love how Johnny tries to impress Rick 
and <laughs> Rick is just like Johnny Storm. And Rick is just sitting there thinking, um, I work with the Hulk, so you're stupid. Right, right. And the same thing happens with Peter later. It's like Peter is not impressed by Johnny Storm. He's less sort of he's less like high and mighty about it, I think. Yeah. Um he does tend to get antagonistic toward Johnny, but yeah, Johnny's like, Hey, I'm so awesome. And both Rick and Peter are like, yeah, you're not the only one who's awesome, but good job. Yeah. So I think, um, you said it to me off air along maybe like a week ago or so. So I'm just going to totally rip you off, but I love how, like anytime you introduce an assistant, you've never heard of before. (laughs) That's obviously the bad guy. (laughs) This uh, is Bruce Banner and and my assistant Carl Court. Yeah, your assistant who now? That's like when you're watching Law and Order and like Tom Cruise is guest starring as a seemingly innocuous librarian or something like that. It's like, well, you know, he's the murderer. Yeah, yeah, he is. Uh, or you know what it is? Is that next? Is that Star Trek Next Generation episode where they all lose their memory? They have no clue who they are. And there's this other guy who's like second in command of the ship now. Right, right. Who are you? Where did you come from? You're obviously the bad guy. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, ta-da, we discovered that on page 13. Yeah, Rick gets kidnapped and blah, blah, blah. blah. You kind of like joked about the Fantastic Four upgrading their rocket sled, the Army's rocket sled for no reason. Mm -hmm. Um, I would like to think if Reed Richards hung out at my house and I invited him over for dinner that when he left, my TV would be like in 5D and my internet would be three times as fast. I kind of like yeah. I kind of like that they just were like, you know, we're interested in this stuff, so let's just up- upgrade it because you're obviously all dumb and I'm super intelligent. But it's also kind of like Reed is a child too. Like he's not doing this as a partnership with Ross. He's not doing this with the permission of Ross. He's like, ooh, I see something over there. I'm going to play with it. And yeah. I'm going to upgrade and make it better because I like – that's what I like. Johnny and Ben, they like to wrestle and tear stuff up. Ray's like, ooh, I'm going to tinker with that and make it better. And Sue's enabling him for some reason here. Like, that's kind of unusual for her. I just think the Fantastic Four in general feel that they're way better than the army. That's all. Yeah. They felt, they've seemed like they felt that way this entire issue. Like, they don't agree to really anything. They're just kind of going along and, uh, yeah, I guess improving things as they go. Or maybe Sue isn't enabling him. Maybe she's bored or, or like, annoyed. And you could, you know, read it as... All conditions are go, Reed. Whenever Ben is ready, we can do this and get on with our lives. <laughs> no, she's not like that. No, no. Reed Sue would never be annoyed with me. And anyway, if they didn't fix this thing, then they wouldn't have tested it. And if they didn't test it, then the Wrecker wouldn't have destroyed it. And then if the Wrecker didn't destroy it, then the Hulk wouldn't have come around, I guess. It, and speaking of the Hulk, we have Bruce Banner. He discovers that Rick has been captured by the Wrecker. And he discovers and knows this to the Hulk. Rick Jones is my prisoner. Unless you drive the Fantastic Four from this area, you will never see him again. Signed, the record. Mm-hmm. It's like he's like I can't show anybody this note. I can't tell them what's going on. Why can't he show them this note? He just found it. It doesn't connect him to the Hulk. Yeah, that's a good point. I don't really get why the record thought that leaving that note where he left it would get to the Hulk either, or that the Hulk can even read, <laughs> or the Hulk be read. Yeah, um, I guess it does connect Rick Jones to the Hulk, and Bruce is connected to Rick, so maybe there's a danger there. But yeah. Well, I mean, Reed Richards does figure it all out, so maybe the less information you give him, the better. Because Reed is the second smartest person in the room. Well, we all know that's not really true, that the Toad Men were totally wrong, and Reed Richards is the smartest person <laughs> in the room, but that's are, just my are you opinion. Suggesting, are you suggesting that the Tribitites were, were faulty in their conclusions? I think that maybe Reed Richards was on, the, was on the other side of the planet when they used their magnets to figure out who the smartest person in the world was. Mm-hmm. 
or maybe magnets can't really figure out who the smartest person in the world is. So it was just wrong. But that brings us to the confrontation to end all confrontation. Yeah. I'll crush you like a flea. It's him. It's the Hulk. It's a good fight. Um, I don't know. It's hard to like critique fights. Like, what do you say? It was just cool, but it was cool. I enjoyed it. Yeah. Uh, it's nice that there was a ghost town they could destroy. I think it was neat that the whole team takes on the Hulk, not just thing. And, uh, but I also like that ultimately it came down to the thing in the Hulk for the last couple panels until the record takes the Hulk out. And the Hulk does a Hulk clap, which mm-hmm. we have not seen very much at all. And he takes out three out of four of them. Right. Um, yeah. And at, at this point, the Hulk is not like the Hulk we all know, as we've already said. So it actually seems like a more fair fight between, uh, you know, thing and Hulk. They actually look like about the same size and maybe this could go on for a while if they didn't get interrupted. Um, I'm remembering whenever Sue said she didn't think she'd be helpful, and here she kind of saves the day. And right. no one says word one about it. Right. And that's what she was doing in the original issues, too. She'd be the one who stowed up, stowed on the, you know, bad guy's car or yanked Submariner's horn out of his hand or whatever. Like, she's this awesome stealth ninja on their team, and they don't ever seem to say, hey, she's an awesome ninja stealth person on our team. She just goes, oh, she's the little woman. And you know, us men, we need women around. Who's going to pack right. our lunch. <laughs> I love the description of Susan Storm as the stealth ninja of the team. Mm-hmm. That is, that is how I'm going to think of her in my head now. And I'm reading stories. Well, well, that is her primary, like the awesomest stuff she does. And if this was any other team that had like, say daredevil on it, who was always in the dark or Batman on it or nightcrawler on it. And he was always coming out of the, shadows and grabbing guns and stuff we'd all be like yay nightcrawler and if someone said why is nightcrawler on the team why because he's this awesome stealth ninja demon thing that can teleport and you know steal guns and stuff but instead they're just like oh yeah she packs our lunch right dumb and then we get to hulk who wants to turn back into bruce which is unusual he's even a little bit scared still um still weak from the ray no reason to hang around gotta change back to bruce banner I don't want the thing to find me until I can get my full strength back. Yeah. Well, he hasn't so far refused to turn back into Banner. He's come close to talking about how he doesn't really think he should anymore and wait till the world finds out about that. But he hasn't actually given into that threat yet. And maybe now with this issue, this is like the first time he's actually fought someone that that, uh, stood a chance against him. Yeah. So he didn't like getting punched around. Um. So you think that Bruce, that Reed suspects about Bruce? I think he knows, yeah. Okay. I mean, in this he, issue, he does. In subsequent issues, it'll probably completely like ruin that idea. But I like the idea that he knows. I'm fine with that. And doesn't do anything about it either because he's Reed Richards, and why would he? Any other thoughts on this issue? No. It well, was pretty cool. Um, it is pretty cool. It it doesn't do a whole lot for the Fantastic Fours, like their continuity, their narrative, and everything, except they're, for pushing um, – Ben's and Alicia's relationship, just another you know, step forward. But it is a good move for the Marvel Universe because it brings two characters and two titles together. Yay! So, and we got um, the first Thing versus Hulk fight, which everybody yeah. loves. Yep. Now, you are out there listening to our show, and of course, we are excited because the show just launched, but that was months ago for you. So, um, in a couple of episodes, we will return to... Uh, thanking people for their support of the show, for their likes and their reviews and such. I do want to take one moment to thank the first person who said something to us about our show 
on Twitter. Okay. And that is, let me find the, the tweet here. Um, that is Tom Galpin, who said, really enjoying the podcast, especially the discussion about Marvel hedging their bets with a superhero slash monster mag mashup in FF1. Well done, guys. Awesome. So that was that was Tom Galpin, like you know, That's... giving us some constructive feedback or or specific praise, and that was very very much appreciated. It made my day. My old college roommate. Is he really? No, I didn't even go to college. Oh well, <laughs> find it. You know what? <laughs> who knows who your old roommates would have been? Maybe he would have been. He would have been. Yes. All right. Where uh, where can they find the show now that they've um, already found it, to it for for thirteen episodes? Yeah. Well, if you've magically stumbled across this show and have no idea where to go look for it some more, it's in this obscure URL called makearsmarvel.com, where you'll find, of course, every episode. And in every episode, we post like imagery that supports what we're talking about. Um, and then we also have links to all our social media, Facebook, Google, Twitter, and we're even trying a little YouTube um, and you can contact us from that site on the contact form, or you can just email us directly at podcast at makearsmarvel.com. Well, we'll be back next time with the debut of two new stars in our Marvel Pantheon. So until the acrobat decides to torture Johnny Storm again, dressed up as one of our favorite superheroes, make ours Marvel. Marvel.